Hey guys, this is Steve. Before we get started here, I just want to announce our winner for the Warrior Heart Boot Camp giveaway for this November. Um, the person who's receiving the full scholarship to come up to boot camp this November is, drumroll, congratulations Hayden. Um, Hayden, excited to get to meet him in person. Um, he seems very much uh, of the unashamed, unafraid attitude and um, is in a great place in his personal journey. And so congratulations Hayden. Um, thank you for being being a part of Unashamed and Unafraid and for sharing your story with us and we're super excited to see you there. Welcome to Unashamed and Unafraid, a show unashamed about sexual addiction recovery and unafraid of coming into Christ for healing. Where we talk about real recovery stories, answer anonymous questions with experts, and share resources that actually work. I'm your host, Steve. And I'm your co-host, James. And we are Unashamed Unafraid. So this has been a year of a lot of firsts for us Unashamed and Afraid. A lot of first things, new things. So CT, you joined us this year. I um, I, so we, you don't get a lot of credit. And like Jason, I feel like you kind of do the heavy lifting. I'm just being honest, right? So um, CT does all of our write-ups. So he listens after, does all of the write-ups, right? Gets all the written stuff together. So huge props, right? Lionheart, as you know, which the way you battle for men, we should just do a whole episode on that, honestly. Um, um, but this is your first time co-hosting with me. It is, yeah. Um, so, I, how did you feel about it? Wow. Oh, that's all I can say is wow. Well, and talk about, um, I mean, no tiptoeing in the water, right? You <laughs> no. decided first episode, we're jumping into the freaking deep end, right? And I with had Theron's no story, idea. Who's, I, this episode, we're sharing Theron's story, recovery had, story. Yeah, and I had no idea that any of that happened with Theron. You just ran into this guy at 7-Eleven. You're like, dude, addicted port? Yeah. Hey, you want to come talk about it? No. We we actually are part of a a band of brothers group at at, uh, the Davis Weber uh, chapter, I guess you could say. WarriorHeart.com. Shout out to the Wild at Heart, the Warrior Heart Boot Camp Retreat. Wild at Heart by John Eldridge. Can't say enough. I first met him up at boot camp. Um... I uh, was a staff up there, and uh, I loved his heart from the very beginning, and I I just was drawn to him. Uh, how can you not be? <laughs> yeah, even without knowing his full story, yeah. he, he's still, you know that that person that you want to be around. Yeah. Um, so what what he doesn't know probably. Um, which I will share is I've been super excited about this one. So a lot of stories are men that I find or meet in recovery and um, they see me as like further down the road sometimes. I always openly disclose like I'm not, I'm not Chris Bennett or Jason. Like I don't have years of sobriety. Like I'm not right. Um, So the first interaction I had with Theron was at the retreat. um, And my second disciplinary council was coming up in which I did get excommunicated. And I knew I was going to. Like, I feel like I'd already kind of been with God and I'd met and I knew it. I'm like, and I'm like, I'm going to get excommunicated. That's how this is going to go. And I, I was kind of still like tough manning it a little bit. Like, I'm good with it. I'm fine. I get how it works. I know what's going on. I, I'm, I'm, it's all good. Um, you know, and I still kind of like, you know, manning up around all of it. Yeah. And, and he just grabbed me. I remember it was at, like at night, there's kind of whole activity, and we were sitting all the way in the back, and he just kind of grabbed me. And he had this whole conversation with me and shared some of his story and his process and, and really loved me in that moment in an incredible way. So I knew whose story we were recording because I he had he had given been a conduit for God's love. Like he had already blessed my life. You know, and so I, I've just been so excited for this one because I know who he is, right? I mean, he's already ministered to me in this super tender moment. I didn't even know about it, but um, how much that meant to me. Yeah. Um, but it meant a lot. Um, it kind of helped me. And so, uh, I, I mean, I don't know. What else do you say about him? You know, he's just a warrior. He battles for other men's hearts. And he just is... <laughs> There's no, there's no word that can actually describe how strong that guy is. Well, and, and what you're not – so wives are shy about coming on, and I totally understand the reservations and what's going on. And so – but 
his wife isn't here with us, but the strength that she has just from the context of this story. So I, I hope that she listens to this and hears me say, I have mad respect for you and your courage is incredible. Oh yeah. Because it, so it comes out, I mean, he talks about her and their journey and how their relationship's been. So she wasn't here to talk about it, but I'm just telling you, this lady is a powerhouse. I mean, incredible. What wife would actually come and say, no, we're not getting a divorce. We're actually going to go get therapy first. No, I mean, just over and over. The strength that she had, you got to listen to the whole story, right? The other thing I would tell you is uh, we didn't ease into this one either, right? I no. mean, it gets real fast. So uh, I'll be honest, this is a heavy one. This is a heavy story. And so disclaimer coming in, um, this one's heavy. But the beauty, uh, we had several moments where... We just couldn't say anything. Yeah, I, I, I mean, just, the, just, the, just the tears, and so I, I don't know. There's nothing else to say. No, and you know, just bottom line, Theron is another one of those examples that God does not make junk. Amen to that. So if you think you're junk, you think God makes junk, we invite you to take a listen to this. Darren, you're the freaking man, bro. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me here. Thanks. This is like, uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm honored by you and that you're here sharing your story with us. Um, so, uh, you know, no one's story starts as an adult, right? It's really addiction's a symptom of the life issues and all of that, right? And so we always start with everyone with childhood what they experienced how they viewed god kind of in that arena so really not going to change the format at all as you know it and so um tell us you know about your childhood what was hard about your childhood how that all started and we'll go from there well uh started kind of early on in my childhood Um, when i was about five or six years old um, i watched my father rape my sister and basically what i learned was that he was grooming me so that he could then molest me as well. And so that happened, like I said, at a young age when I lived in California. Then on top of that, um, my grandfather, who lived in Southern California, subjected me to ritualistic abuse. And I can still remember and see when I was locked in a box and with those around me kicking and hitting the box and yelling at me and threatening me um, with my life. And so, I mean, I guess you would say the trauma started at a pretty young age for me. I mean, heavy, right? I mean, beyond. And so, I mean, as you are experiencing this through your childhood, what did, I mean, did you just check out? Did you, did you, I mean, how did you survive? I mean, that's the real question here, right? How does someone survive something that severe? You know, I started to check out um, after my parents got divorced when I was about 10. So I hit age 14 and was pretty heavy into to drugs and alcohol. Um, you know, the pornography, uh, I'd come across that a few times. But I guess what was funny for me is that I thought masturbation was, was wrong as a teenager, you know, I could, you know, cross lines with, with girls and you know, break the law of chastity, but don't touch yourself. That's wrong. Um, so I basically checked out until one night um, I had an experience where I had gone deeper into drugs than I ever had before. And that night, um, God came to me in spite of where I was at and told me it was time to, to clean up my life. And uh, so I started to prepare myself for a, an LDS mission. So gr- grew up in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? I did. I grew up as a, my father was a convert, and my mother was a, a member when I, you know, when they got married. And so as far as I, my entire life, I was in the LDS church. So what was the context with you growing up? Because you're in this church, you know, Jesus wants me as a sunbeam, but the abuse that you're experiencing in your real life is unreal, which isn't even probably a significant enough word to put on what you faced. I don't have words for what you faced. Um, 
So how did you see, how did you translate God in that, that you're kind of seeing one thing in church culture and the way the church is, but what you're experiencing is extremely different. So, so who was God to you? In a lot of this, I didn't realize until I was older looking sure. back, you know, because of the fact that I was completely tuned out. But, you know, in, in the, the LDS church, they teach that your leaders are inspired. So if the church calls you to one of their positions or one of their callings, yeah. well, then it must be inspired of God. Well, my dad had been called as certain positions of leadership, like a, a elders quorum president, a high priest group leader. So what I thought about God was, if he's willing to call my dad to do those things, he must be he must be accepting of my dad's behavior. And I was worthless to God. Um, and I was I just had no value. Yeah. So he come so you have this experience with God one night that you want to get it together, go on a mission and how, I mean, how'd you receive that? You know, I was excited. Um, but I think, you know, you'll see that this kind of showed what I thought of God as well, because I went on this mission, and uh, I thought this was my chance at redemption. Because we're often taught that if you commit a sin and repent, you won't return to that sin. So, I've gone on my mission. Well, during my mission, I end up kind of going downhill and um, listening to music, and all of a sudden, listening to music says, well, you're, you're a waste of a missionary. So, from there, it was just downhill. Yeah, the shame messages. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so, I, at that particular point, I kind of thought I'd blown my chance at redemption, because if I make a mistake again, everything from my past comes back. And so, I, I struggled after my mission, and I think I kind of buried it and... Uh, just tried to move on and survive. Yeah. CT, you ever been there? Oh, yeah. My mission was the same way. I just felt like even though we had been the uh, companionship that baptized the most people in one month, I still was a piece of crap. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, my experience was, you know, I, I feel like I—, I I could validate through that. So I was just chasing that as much as I could and convinced myself it was enough, but earning it with God. So you come back from your mission, you kind of get on the ground, um, probably had the experience of kind of we all have when you come home and you think you're in the vacuum, you kind of are like, I'm this person, but then you get home and life settles in. And now a lot of these influences that weren't around you, your family, um, you know, back to dating again, different stuff like that is back in the picture. So coming back, what happened? You know, coming back, I, I actually immediately within a month got engaged to um, a girl that I dated in high school. In fact, she was the, the first one I'd ever been with. And so she's the one that got away, right? Well, we broke that off um, one week before our actual wedding. And, you know, I move out to Colorado and during this time, um, you know, I wasn't really having issues with, you know, with drugs or alcohol or pornography and masturbation. So I felt like I was doing pretty good and move out to Colorado and eventually meet my wife and get married to her. Okay. Okay. Now, when you, uh, how much did she know about not just your, your struggles previously with porn or drugs or alcohol or acting out with other women, but the abuse, your childhood. I mean, how much did she know about you and that whole story? Um, let's be real. You, you can't tell somebody that you were sexually abused as a boy um, because you know, we're, that's not right. You know, Boys don't do that kind of thing, and it happens to girls, but not to boys. So point being is I didn't share any of this with my wife at all. You know, she knew about my addictive behaviors, but not about the abuse, um, at least to that extreme. You know, there was other abuse that happened in my household that we discussed, but there was the shame, you know, that I let somebody do that to me. Yeah, yeah. Well, and so much it's your fault and the unworthiness that you described and so much that comes with that, right? It's just 
the the spiraling effects that that has. I I love the um, quote from the heart the movie Heart of Man, which if you haven't watched, you got to freaking watch that movie. You've seen it. I have. Okay, yes. right. So you know when um, Doctor, uh, what's the guy with the weird owl hair? Do you remember his name? He's John Eldridge's like BFF. Yeah. And he says, you know, if I was the adversary and I look at abuse, you know, I have abuse that happens in five minutes or in one day. And what are the results of that abuse? It's shame over a lifetime. He said, if you're the adversary, think of the return on investment on that abuse, right? And that's what I love about you being willing to share your story is, you know, how how strongly this all influenced and how what you went through really mattered in such a big way. And, and I guess I'm staying here for a minute because I know there are men listening to this a lot who may have not been through abuse as severe as you've been through, Darren, but they're still minimizing their story the way you did when you got married. And so the strength you have right now is just incredible. So I just got to give you some kudos for your openness and sharing that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I may not be able to relate to that totally with the abuse or anything, but I can definitely relate to you feeling like uh, worthless, unlovable, all of those characteristics. Well, if I could say to those men who maybe are still minimizing it, I understand you know, I started doing therapy after my mission at about age 23. And as soon as the abuse came up, I was done. I'm like, I can't handle this. Um, let's just let it go away. And so it took me another, what, 22 years before I was willing to actually face it and a lot of pain to get me there. Yeah. So when when you got married... The sexual acting out, you didn't have this big compulsive addiction yet around sexuality prior to getting married. That's correct, yeah. So, so Well, I guess let me back up. Sure. Um, in the traditional sense, you know, the pornography, no. But, you know, even when I was dating after my mission, you know, I, I definitely pushed the limits a little bit more than I probably should have. But, you know, still no, you know, acting out with like pornography or masturbation or full on with, with yeah. other women. Yeah. So when you got married, did you think marriage is going to solve whatever sexuality issues I have, whatever sin, this is like my clean slate. I'm good now. Or did you say I'm going to, how did you approach, how did you approach your marriage? Uh, yeah. Marriage was my, my saving grace. This was a chance for me to see God's love because of the beautiful woman that he, he gave me to be my wife. And, you know, I thought this was going to fix everything. No more women that would abandon me in my life and no more hurt and abuse. So, yeah, marriage was marriage was definitely the answer. So, kind of like you described your mission, like this is going to be the redeeming thing? Yeah, absolutely. Similar? I, yeah, I felt like I'd finally reached it with God. He'd forgiven me, maybe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I, no, it's just one of my favorite. I was, everyone knows I was to a ton of Christian rap music. I love Andy Mignone's song, Shame. I'm trying to convince God I'm not a waste of his time. And that's just your your sentiment reminds me of that that quote. So you you get into marriage, um, and how how does your marriage go? When does addiction come up? You know, the marriage started a little rough. Um, my father on Christmas Day we were married January 10th, and on Christmas Day he called me to tell me that he and my brother would not be attending my wedding because my sister and my mother were going to be there. So it started off a little rough that way. But between my wife and I, I felt like we were pretty solid. You know, I we were a newly married couple and you know, just trying to get by. The addiction itself or the I guess the pornography didn't come into play until probably almost two years after we got we got married. And it was one of those I kinda came across it by accident uh, while I was at school. And one thing led to another, and I enjoyed it. And, you know, it was kind of only sporadic until I went to graduate school. And in graduate school, um, the pressure got to me. And after the end of my first you mean year— just the pressure of life and the pressure of school? and Yeah, the, pressure, the school was very, very competitive. And I had a, a scholarship that I'd received for almost $20,000 that I knew I was about to lose because of my grades. And 
I was a disappointment to my wife, um, you know, to God once again, to everyone. And that's when I really dove into uh, pornography and, and masturbation. So, that, so, height of your addiction, what does the acting out look like? Well, the height of my addiction was, I mean, at that particular time, was pornography and masturbation sometimes two, three times a day for several days in a row. And so I did that until about 2004 when I finally told my wife about the addiction to pornography, um, con- confessed to my ecclesiastical leader, my bishop, and thought that, okay, I've done this, so now I'm going to leave it all behind. Yeah. Yeah. So, assuming that there's still a story to tell, you didn't. So, we're, we're all kind of laughing and, and looking at that. But, but, but I get what you're saying, right? I mean, you, you, you can relate to that CT, that, oh, yeah. right? I mean, that multiple times where you're like, oh, I, I've, I've checked the boxes. I've done what I need to do. I'm good, right? Oh, no. I thought it was one and done. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> CT's in for a rude awakening. No, I'm just kidding. You're <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been probably 17 times for myself in uh, the ecclesiastical leader's office. Yeah, yeah. Ecclesi- so L- that's LDS terminology, the, the pastor, congregational leader, right? Bishop, same thing. So, okay, so you kind of you kind of say, hey, I said out loud, I met with the church guy, I'm good. Uh, yeah, I, we, were, we were good to go. You know, my wife was hurt, and we kind of got through that. So I thought, uh, basically within about four months, um, I acted out again. And immediately the, the shame was, was worse than ever. My wife had told me that if I ever looked at pornography again, she was going to leave me and we were going to get a divorce. So I made that mistake of acting out. Okay, so it's just once. We'll be okay. Nope. Here it happens again. And then it happens again. And within a few months, the addictions got hold of me again. Problem was, is that I thought once again my marriage was over, and if my marriage was over, then I'm a failure. I've proved everybody right that I can't do anything in this world, and uh, it progressed into to affairs. Yeah, yeah. So that progression keeps happening, and I mean, sounds from what you're describing, right? A lot of worthlessness, a lot of suicidal at any point in time in this. Uh, yeah, actually, several times. Um, you know, my mom, when I was a kid, attempted to take her life um, about four or five times, and I remember that. So that was an escape route. Um, and when the closest I think I ever got was I planned a, a hunting trip, and I had planned to never come back. I was going to find my little place on the hill, and that was that it. Was it. Um, but God wasn't done with me. And to this day, I still didn't, I still didn't, I don't know, still didn't understand what it was inside of me that changed, but something changed. And I immediately drove home, immediately reached out to a, a friend of mine who was off a the hunting trip, off the hunting trip. Yeah. Okay. I immediately drove home and um, surprised my wife and did some nice things for her because you know, I wanted to stay with her and I wanted to be with her. So I contacted a therapist and, you know, it was funny because you know, I couldn't admit I had a problem yet, so I reached out and said, hey, do you handle people with you know, pornography addiction and suicidal thoughts? Because I have a friend, you know, <laughs> and this, this friend can, can use your help. And, you know, and, uh, it's just we all relate to that line of thinking and where you're at, right? I mean, that's, that's the truth. Yeah, you know, I figured I'd go to the therapy on my friend's behalf, uh-huh. you know. Um, but, uh, yeah. So I started seeing a, uh, seeing a therapist um, named Doug, which I think many of you know from the Wild at Heart um, or the Warrior's Heart Boot Camp. Yep, yep. Doug's one of the proprietors of, of the Warrior Heart Boot Camp, yep. That's uh, correct. Um, and it was still, it was three years that basically Doug kept me alive. You know, I'm, I would tell him when, about all the affairs, and if they happened again, I would tell him again. And... Every time I was there, though, he would give me support. Well, look what you have done. And so for three years, he kept me alive. And I'm sure, I'm sure he looked at me all the time going, you know, you're an idiot. You know, you're going to have to take care of this and, and get this out. But he never once made me believe that. He just, just loved me. Yeah. And so then um, we fast forward and my wife and I, uh, 
we were uh, uh, attempting to adopt um, some children from, from Africa. You know, we already had some biological children, but we were adding them to our family. And it finally got to the point in 2016 where we were able to bring them home. And for myself, because I was so deep in my addiction, I was telling myself, okay, as soon as my youngest child is 18, then I can get a divorce from my wife and I can go ahead and get the help that I need because I knew I needed help. Because she's going to divorce you when you come forward with all of this. Oh, it's it's a, over. Yeah. And yeah. Rather than let her leave me, I was just going to leave her. So, um, so I bring these children home and the youngest one is five years younger than my, bio- my youngest biological child. So all of a sudden, I just added five years to my hell. Yeah. I, well, my misery. And um, I lost it. And I went a little bit deeper into the rabbit hole, into my addiction. And a few months into this, I finally reached out and texted my wife and said, I'm done. Uh, I'm leaving. We're getting a divorce. She fortunately would, would said no and said, we're going to try counseling first. Well, and did she kind of always know something was up? In, yeah, in hindsight, especially she did, but she felt a lot of pressure from me, especially in the bedroom, uh, yeah. because you know I needed her to to act out these these things that I'd seen on on the internet. Yeah, uh, because that's not that isn't that what a marriage is is like. Yeah, uh, so there was a lot of pressure on her, and she didn't understand why until everything finally came out. Yeah, because a, lo- a lot of women will describe, and, and wives that we've had come on and share their story will describe, you know, I knew something was off, or I knew something wasn't quite right with him, or something felt ungodly. They, it all kind of gets expressed in a different way, but they know, hey, this isn't this isn't the way this is supposed to go. This isn't the way this is supposed to feel. Um, but talk about, I mean, you know, your wife's not here with us, but if she were, I would be like mad props to find the strength in all of this to be like, no, we're going to go to counseling. That's crazy. It I mean, is. really, honestly, that's, I mean, that's crazy, oh, right? Yeah. I mean, CT's nodding his head with me. That's what, well, and what's funny about that is after we started doing marriage counseling, my wife and I decided we're going to buy that as a present for every one of our children when they get married. You know, you just, we didn't know how to communicate. That's awesome. You know, and at this point, None of the addiction had still come out when I started the the therapy. Okay, so you're doing the marriage counseling. Correct, doing the marriage counseling. A couple months into it, pornography. Um, you disclosed the pornography. I disclosed the pornography, the masturbation. Even after that, I uh, I end up having another affair, even while we're in this therapy. And several months later, which would have been July of 2017, uh, my wife... Well, this is pretty funny. My wife wanted to go to the LDS temple um, with me, which you know requires a special, you know, a special recommend. recommend. Yeah, thank right. you. Right, you have to be living cer- certain of God's commandments in in an upstanding way, including you're not drinking, you're you're paying tithing, you know, you're attending church and doing all that stuff, and that you are sexually pure. Well, I was paying I'm, tithing and right. going to church. Yeah, I'm going to assume it was the sexually pure one that you had an issue with. Just hedging my bet based on the story in the context that you and I are here. But well, it, we'll let you tell it. <laughs> well, and, and it, uh, at one point I had gotten back into um, a little bit of, of drugs, doing some marijuana and uh-huh. as well as, uh, as drinking. And uh, I returned back to chewing tobacco. And so these had got a hold of me, but they'd been kept quiet for three years. Until I told my wife, I can't find my recommend. Well, she wanted to go find it. So she started searching through some of the pockets in my jacket, and she found uh, a can of chewing tobacco and came out and confronted me and said, what's this? And, of course, my first response was, oh, well, the guy I work with, he borrows my suit coat sometimes, and it must be his. Because I'd already thrown him under the bus so many times, my wife believed it. Well, at least for a moment. Yeah. Yeah, And then she... After shopping, she comes home and finally says, I want to know it all. Um, you know, I want to know if there's affairs. You, know, you tell it all to me. And So again, that she kind of knew something was up, right? She knew. And I guess the reason I point this out is sometimes I feel like women think they're crazy. And I've talked to women before that they're like, this is going on. Maybe like, am I crazy or is there something up? And I, and I say this every time we hear someone's story or share. Women's intuition is not wrong. Right. I mean, am I Never. wrong on that, CT? Never. 
my wife is the same way. She knows when something is up, and she asks me and gives me the opportunity to say the truth, tell the truth. But you know, she still gives me that opportunity, and. Yeah. <laughs> Just so for our women listening, if the story's resonating with you and you're like, I think there might be something up, trust your intuition. I yeah. mean, because just like your wife, I mean, she knew her. And again, baller move for her to have the courage to confront you. Oh, the strength. You, you know, you, I forget about that sometimes, but it was absolutely incredible strength and courage to sit there and, you know, ask even if I'd had affairs because I'm sure she knew what that was going to do to her life. Um, yeah. But she was to the point where, for her, the the pain was enough that she wanted to know. She wanted the truth. So did you disclose everything at that time? Yeah. This is the part that, uh, if you're going to disclose, you probably shouldn't listen to. What I did is I I, I, I sat down. <laughs> Asterix, <laughs> this is not how you do full disclosure. Do not do it this way. You'll want to put that at the beginning of your intro and the end. Uh, yes. <laughs> Uh, so I wrote, I wrote it all down. I wrote, you know, when the pornography and masturbation started, I wrote down, you know, all the affairs, the, the, the strip clubs, the, all these things that I had done. And I came home and I sat down in bed and I said, boom, here it is. And I laid it all out. Um, so you were just drinking, letting her drink from a fire hose of everything that you had done. Oh, yeah. And it's because I was a coward. I thought if I didn't tell her then, I was never going to do it. You know, and I had no idea what healthy disclosure really was. Um, for me, I thought, okay, I'm just going to get it all out there. But what's funny, too, is I, I got it all out there because if I said it all at one time and later she came back and says, you didn't say that. Well, I could say, yes, I did. You know, yes, I did. And and you have it written down. And so you're like, no, no, it's right there. Look, there's the dates. There's the, yeah. So so I was already preparing myself to have to defend myself and, and create my lies. You know, that's what well, you do. And this is, this is coming from the place that, I mean, you've never believed you're worthy of love ever. And nothing about your life experience, other than your wife's baller awesome moves of, of you know, fighting for your heart, has sh- shown you that, right? So, I mean, that's where this is coming from for you, right? It's just this belief that you're unworthy. So, of course, you have to defend yourself. Of course, you've got to earn it and work this out, right? Because you've got to prove that you're worth something, right? Yeah, I have to prove that I'm worth some. That's a good way to put it. And, you know, commenting about her, I mentioned a little earlier that I thought after my mission, this was the gift from God. And uh, it was after this disclosure. And during the last just over two years um, that I realized it really was a gift from God. You know, I, I knew by telling her, oh, we're going to get divorced. I'm going to get excommunicated, kicked out of my church. And these were guarantees, I thought. Well, she stayed, and it was hard, and it was difficult, and still has been, and I think we'll talk a little bit more about that, but yeah, she stayed, and... Yeah. Well, and the one thing I want to say about your disclosure, and CT, you you can speak to this. A lot of men kind of want to wait for the right timing. I'm going to wait till our money situation's a little better. I'm going to wait till the kids are a little older, or my wife's not pregnant, or we move back to wherever. They have some point on the calendar that this point later in the calendar, that's when disclosure is going to be a good idea. But the best time to disclose is right now. And there's never going to be a good time, right? So, so I mean... Yeah, there's usually, you know, kids screaming in the background or, you know, somebody having a nightmare that, you know, you've got to take care of that before you actually do it. And so, you have an opportunity to chicken out, but... yeah. You know. So 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 I agree with you. There's a healthy way to do disclosure. We need to do a podcast episode on healthy disclosure for sure. Jason's on his head. Like I've already told you this 20 times, dude. Um, so totally. But the I guess like the self compassion in me as an addict, and I think any addict listening to you is that's really hard when you believe it's like doom. It's almost like committing suicide giving that full disclosure. It's like signing up for a death sentence. So maybe you didn't do it the best way, but the fact that you finally fully disclose is incredible. Oh, so you. so let's let's give let's give some compassion and, and credit where Christ is. So you disclose, your wife chooses to stay. So a, a lot of people would say this is when you you know would define recovery as one key to recovery is that you're 100% honest. So this is the first time 
You'd been 100% honest. Yeah. It, part of my story, yeah, the, the, when it came to the acting out, um, I told her everything that I had done with her, the amount of times. and Yeah. But, you know, there's still, there was still a little bit that was held back just because it was pretty, in my mind, minimal. Um, yeah. And, but... Yeah, but in all reality, the, the bulk of what really had happened came out. And, you know, once that floodgate opened, it was great for me because I felt 50 pounds lighter and I yeah. felt all this weight where my mom, my wife is getting vomited on. I was going to say, you're dumping yeah. the weight on her, but yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Yeah. So it was a, it was, it was very tough on her. So she kicks you out of the house. She, what happens? Yeah, she kicked me out of the house for, uh, well, it ended up only being about a week just basically based on circumstances that you know, we look back now and I know that it was God who had, had made it so that, uh, you know, so that I didn't have the opportunity to go anywhere else. And so I was back in the house. I was in the basement for several months. You know, I had to get permission to come upstairs. Um, and at this point, we start you know, looking for additional help and additional therapy. Started going to um, our church's 12-step program, the uh, ARP program. And my wife really felt the spirit there and really felt God kind of touching her. Meaning she went to uh, the women, the, the spouses group. Yeah, correct. They have a spouse okay. support group, and that's where yeah. she was at. And from there, she learned about uh, Lifestar, which I know you've talked about several times. Yep. And we, we started Lifestar and, you know, kind of kept moving from In there. Ogden? In Ogden, Salt Lake? In- We're actually in Brigham City. Okay. We, we live in the Ogden area, but okay. wanted to go up to Brigham so City. So went up to, okay. So yeah. you're doing it up there. Cool. Uh, and then. We both start our own individual therapy because everybody keeps telling us that you have to be have to be healthy for yourself, and we started. And for myself, um, I still hadn't had my my disciplinary hearing for my church, and that was they waited about six months. And the thing that was really difficult for me is I started to get hope that. You know, I was just going to get, you know, what they call disfellowshipped, where I just lose certain privileges, but I'm still a member. Um, but the hearing came, and I was ended up being excommunicated from mm. from the church. And it was, it was very, very, very painful, very difficult. And for you, for your wife. Yes. Both. Both of us. Yeah. Um, what was painful for you? It was God, you know, because once again, here I was laying out my heart to God. And after I talked to my wife and I talked to my ecclesiastical leader, you know, I was, I was praying and I was feeling love from God. And here I am, God, I'm going to go ahead and clean up my life. I finally given it all to you. And you just kicked me out of your church. And his response is, bam! Exactly. So he was the same God that I knew before. Yeah. Same just, God from your childhood. I had not earned his love, and I wasn't even going to be given the chance to earn his love because, well, I was a POS, ma'am. Yeah. Yeah. So, so where'd you go from there? So you're doing individual therapy, you're doing group therapy, you're doing the 12-step stuff. Is that, is that engaging you? You're feeling all in on that, or you're still one foot in, one foot out? Like, where, where are you? Where's your heart at in this? My heart was in it, yeah. Uh, especially into my individual therapy. Once I started to dig into the pain um, from the trauma, you know, it hurt. You know, I would I would go to my therapy sessions, going, I do not want to go because I'm going to leave there crying. And for about 16 months, I can't remember a time I left my therapy that I wasn't crying because of what I was dealing with. So I was I was all in. You know, that didn't take away my. You know my desire to, you know, to act out and to self-soothe myself with pornography, so I'd still have my slips, and I still struggled today, uh, off and on with that. But I was, I was all in. At first, I was all in because I wanted to save my wife and my family, and it took, it took a few months for me to actually finally realize. Actually, it took quite a few months, probably about a year, before I realized I was really in it for myself. And that if things did not work out with my wife, I was still on that path. And I still loved God. Yeah. So, has God shifted for you at all? It's been beautiful. Yes, He has shifted. I think for myself, I realized 
that God knew what he was doing, which, you know, I think we can all say that we know that he's what he's doing. And he had, the, I think part of that reason I got excommunicated is that he had to sever my old relationship. It was, for myself, I think, beyond repair. And so God was like, fine, we're cutting Meaning it off your here. your old relationship with God and yeah, church and everything. Exactly, my old yeah. relationship with him. Um, yeah. And so we started fresh um, when that happened. And has it, my relationship with him changed? Absolutely. It's, it's the most beautiful thing. And he's with me all, almost all the time. And you know, if I go more than two weeks without actually feeling him, touch me or touch my heart or send the savior to love me uh, you know I'm, i feel like i'm missing out and i i really didn't think that kind of relationship was possible you know i had my spiritual experience as a kid once every two or three years even as a, a missionary once every few months but i'm i was to that point where he was with me daily for weeks on end and is still with me and 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 I mean, maybe CT, you can speak to this too. Has there been a difference of, because I've had a lot of spiritual experiences with other people, serving other people, but that's really different than a one-on-one relationship with God. And and to me, that's kind of what I hear you talking about, is that one-on-one relationship with God. And so, you know, I mean, is that, is what I'm saying kind of making sense or? Oh, Absolutely. Um, it is a it is a one on one relationship you know with my father in heaven and during my therapy there were times that that I saw him face to face and felt his embrace and I learned that there is not just a father in heaven but there's a mother and the love that she had for me and the compassion and the hurt that she felt for me were real. And then to boot, I have a brother, I have a savior, and I know from him that, you know, he died on the cross and he atoned for our sins, but had I been the only person that he would have been able to save, he would have done it just for me. So, yeah. I have a one-on-one relationship with them. Wow. That's just wow, Theron. I, I would agree with you. The only way really out of this is to know that you do have a one-on-one relationship with your Savior. I, too, have had that same experience where Christ came to me and said, I would let you hold that nail as many times as it took to save you. It's it's just amazing and beautiful to know we are that loved by this, by Christ. So what would you say to the men who are listening who have not felt that love? And, And even for, and even for myself, you know, I mean, to be honest, I feel I feel like I've had so many experiences with that, but there's still part of my heart I don't know that I fully trust him. I don't know that I'm fully. And so, like, what what did you do to be able to start having these experiences? Because because what you and I know now in hindsight is God was always willing to have this personal relationship with you. It's just through through the sin and the acting out and lack of knowledge. It, you know, you just didn't know how to open the door, right? Like you just didn't have the the pieces. He was getting them to you, but you just didn't have them yet. Like so so for the men that are listening right now that like feel the spirit of what you're sharing, but they're like, I don't get how he's doing that. Like, how are you doing that? Like, how are you having a personal relationship? with God and the Savior? You know, it's, it's kind of hard to, to answer in general because it is a personal relationship. But for me, I know that I was finally, I was finally open that, ready to open that door to the pain of my past. And my anger, that how would God send a child that he loves to a place like that? And so I, I tried to give him the chance to to heal that pain, and I think by opening that door and by me 
ready to face it. Um, he almost kind of forced his way in with me, um, you know, and I, I still struggle. I still have those, those days where I question whether or not God really loves me or the experiences that I had real, but he was there. And so I guess it's hard to say, what do you need to do for yourself to have that relationship? For me, it was open the door to the pain and it was honesty. Having, having God in your life and really, I mean, this is like lack of a better word to describe your life experience because it's like what you're sharing is so much more holy and, and so much more descriptive than like the slapping the label on it. I'm going to slap on it, but really entering recovery, which it's, it's just, it's not worthy of your, just those words. Right. But how, how is, has there been any shift in your relationship with your wife, the way that you view her? Right. Cause you said initially, Hey, this is kind of my gift from God. This is my way. This is my kind of my golden ticket. Right. And, and getting that validation from her and have like, this is my change to, you know, has it, has it changed over these last couple of years? How, has your relationship changed? How you view your wife? Has that changed? What What's happened on that front? It has changed. Um, I think one of the ways in which you know God healed me was allowing me to finally open my heart and see how much this woman loved me. You know that she would stay with me, and my history told me that all women were going to leave, and so I finally was able to see it, and you know. I saw her putting in an effort to recovery in spite of the fact that every time she would think about it, she'd be, why am I staying with this guy? In fact, our stake president um, in his meeting with her said, if you want to leave, I understand. So I watched her fight and I watched her fight for me and for our marriage. And I watched our ability to communicate and talk about some of the hard things change and grow and a lot of that was because i was finally ready to be open so yeah my my love of her has grown um, more than i actually more than i ever thought possible i did not know that i could love or be as loved as i am right now has it been hard to remain honest as you because you kind of described right you you still have struggled with some some sobriety Right, that that's not you're not done there, right? Um, which no no judgment, right? I mean, that's me. No, there's no judgment. Um, but has it been hard to remain honest? Because if I'm being honest, I, I'm this is just now. I'm just asking questions for just me. That's been one of the hardest parts for me in recovery is to remain honest. It's funny you ask that because I debated when I knew I was going to come down here. You know, do I just kind of let it slide that you know I'm able to go thirty to sixty days without a slip? You know, no one will ever know. Um, so, yeah, it's hard to be honest. It's hard to be honest. I mean, I know some of you, and I love you, and I know you love me, but it's still hard to be honest. And then to be honest with my wife, just knowing the pain that I'm going to cause her, it's it's hard. It's hard to – sometimes I do it, and I am I seem like I'm cold and callous because I'm just throwing it out there. Um, but as this process has gone on, I have been able to – you know, present those slips to her um, in a way that's um, that can you know can still show my love for her and can uh, create space for her for her to heal and and I've been pretty good about reporting within about twenty four hours and part of that was because there was one time where I went several weeks without telling my wife and continued in life as if it was normal and when I finally did tell her. That was the most difficult time it had been on her since, you know, basically we'd started our life star recovery because, you know, that was a, a year into our, our recovery. Yeah. So the lying, so it came back to, the lying came back to her as what else is he lying about? Totally. Yeah. Triggers all of the, all the trauma, the previous trauma and the, right, the 50 pounds you dumped on her and his are 55 and you know, what else is there? Um, what, um, what have been the other, you know, key factors for you or shifting moments in, in recovery that, you, you know, not only have helped you find God's love, but also helped you live a healthier life? You know, I mentioned Lifestar, and part of that was I found other like-minded men that helped me learn how to be vulnerable and be real, 
and know that I am still loved. Because that's difficult with my wife. You know, she still hurts and she's still in pain at times. So I can't, I can't go to her for that, for lack of a better term, for that validation. Yeah. So having other men in my life has been huge. You know, and you've talked about it before, and um, it's the the book Wild at Heart by John Eldridge and the the Warrior Boot Camp. You know, I went to my first one of those two years ago, and I know it opened my eyes to the love of God. So you ask, how did I get that relationship? I think that was one of the ways. Because I went there, and the first time I went there, he smacked me over the head with his love and, and, and telling me that he was there. Yeah. You know, we, we were talking about what was my key to, to recovery, and one of the biggest things was EMDR therapy. Uh, EMDR therapy allowed me to face my trauma head on, and you know, I think that's one of the reasons that I was able to to meet God was was through that. CT, you have any feelings about EMDR? <laughs> well, at first uh I thought it was just for people who you know had major 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 trauma, but I've come to find out that hey, I actually do have some major trauma for me. And it's it's a very personal way. I mean, that's that's was one of the times when um, I call Heavenly Father Dad because that's what uh, that's what Christ did when He was, you know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, and so I wanted that personal of a relationship with Him, and and uh, had an experience where He came into an EMDR session. I'm sure you have the, have a similar experience, and He wrapped His arms around me and said, "I love you." And just wouldn't stop hugging me and telling me that what I what I told you about Christ holding the nail. If if I would hold the nail for you know against Christ over and over, he would allow that to happen. Yeah. Can I just say to CT that that's that's brave of you to share that story. Um, and part of my fear sometimes when I talk about EMDR is that. Uh, that has been some of the most spiritual uh, opportunities I've had. And, and same thing, I've had God, I've had my Heavenly Mother, I've had Christ visit me at different times. So, you know, it's brave of you to share that. Thanks. And for those of you who may be like, what? All right, so EMDR is a form of trauma therapy. It was originally formed for in the military for PTSD, right? Guys coming back from war experienced huge trauma. I believe so. So it's, so it's, it's one of the most researched, right, research and database as far as how to process trauma. Um, and so there's somatic experiencing. There's some different ways to do that. EMDR is probably the most known. Um, so if anyone's like EMDR, what's that? Right. That that's what it is. It's a it's a therapy process to process trauma. Um, and um, I mean, I I appreciate what you're sharing. I mean, CT, you as well, because for me, like my my trauma matters to me the way your trauma matters to you. But what I went through on the scale, I would describe as so less severe than what you've been through, Theron, that I'm like, oh, that's trauma. Like, that makes sense why he has an addiction. Steve, you really didn't have it that bad, so why don't you just get it together? You know, and and, and, and I know that's wrong, right? But I'm just saying, like, it makes me, you know, sometimes you hear these stories and it makes you minimize kind of your trauma right and so i'm saying this because you're about to tell me something i think there's a lot of people that need to hear it who may think that it's like oh well, i haven't been through this like crazy horrific stuff that theron's been through so i i can't i don't have excuses for my behavior right now you can tell me i'm, I'm chomping at the bit to say this that trauma is trauma you know it, just because different things happen to me doesn't mean somebody else's trauma is any less painful you know and to to minimize it like that and to compare it to somebody else's it hurts because yeah i went through hell but so did everybody else and it's not fair for them to brush it off you know cuz that's that's exactly what the adversary wants oh man your shit's not that bad just you know don't yeah. worry it doesn't compare to his you're kind of a wuss man up and that's crap, man. And yeah. that is so. Anybody listen to this? Your trauma is real. Yeah, my therapist told me that uh, if 
because I told him, hey, I don't think I really need AMDR because I had a pretty good... Yeah, I don't have a third you know, story. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have that traumatic experience. And he's like, then you need it. <laughs> so we started. And lo and behold, look at what happened. I had similar experiences to what Theron had. Yeah, I mean, that's... that's um, uh you saying that still heals me now, even still. And, and I would echo what you said that it happened. It matters and you're worth it, right? You're worth having this worked out and, and having this happen. Um, so when did you tell your wife about all the trauma stuff? Cause you didn't tell her initially, you didn't tell her when you got married and, you know, I, I'm assuming you didn't tell her when you kind of did your written disclosure of my acting out behaviors, kind of alluded to that you didn't fully disclose that. So when did you tell her about all this pain? Well, she knew about my sister because um, my sister had talked about her abuse. And so she kind of suspected at least the sexual abuse had happened. And, but, you know, I was never able to admit it. And finally, when I, I brought her in, I sat down and, and told her in front of the therapist about what happened she she was crying not because of the fact of what had happened but because she her basically her response was well yeah i knew that it's just good that you're finally admitting it and uh so it was something else and when it came time to the you know the to disclose the ritualistic abuse we've known it was there because i've had talked about things and i talked about how i had shut down in therapy before when it had happened um, but never really confirmed that it was real just because it's, it's, it's so hard to it's so hard to believe. To be honest yeah. with you, yeah. And that's yeah. my that's my biggest fear of sharing this is that I mean, ah, what a freak, you know? Yeah, or it didn't matter, right? It doesn't, right? I mean, that's the experience that victims of abuse have all the time, right? No one will believe me, or it didn't. It's not really as bad as I'm making it, or yeah. I mean, that totally makes sense. Um, yeah. So tell us about you know. So where you're at now? So. Religion-wise, with my church, with the LDS Church, I have been rebaptized. Um, that was back in March of this year, of 2019. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you very much. And I just, as a quick aside, I have to say, it was. You asked what's one of the things that helps heal. At that baptism, there were probably 40 men that I have met along this journey that were there to support me. Um, we couldn't even take a picture. We had to do a video because I had them all line up. And and you want to talk about feeling loved? Because um, that's a hard thing to admit that you've been excommunicated. And, you know, people thought at my baptism, I might have three or four people, keep it kind of quiet. But really, it was a celebration, not just for me, but for all these men who supported me. So it was a beautiful experience. Um, I'm still currently in the process of regaining my full fellowship and membership sure. in the church and you know i know i have to wait at least a year from from march but in my relationship with god is my relationship with god isn't about going to church and isn't about getting that box checked it, exactly yeah, that box checking isn't going to make you okay in your relationship you're not earning it anymore yeah, yeah. i love the way you put it and you know i'll i'll, I'll pull in my i teach uh, what's called gospel doctrine you know it's the adult yeah. sunday school sunday school yep um and I'll, I'll pull stuff that is Christ and gospel related that may not necessarily be LDS related because it's about connecting with Christ there yeah. and doing that together. So, Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, that's amazing. So how has, um, you know, teaching those classes, how has the, uh, the you know, congregation – uh, reacted to those different ways of teaching. It's funny you ask that. Uh, I played a song from Casting Crowns one Sunday, who is not a traditional LDS artist. But is dope. I mean, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, and I had some of the older people in, the, in, the, in my class asking, who was that again? And you know, even our, our bishop was in the class, and they were all enthralled. So how has it been received? Um, beautiful, because truth is truth, and Christ is in... You know, he's he's in that truth, and he is found in music. He is found in preaching. He's found in scriptures. So, it's awesome. So, so in your recovery, I, one last question: Have you found that 
Um, and this may be a leading question, but have you found that the walls of formality in your relationship with Christ and with Heavenly Father have been broken? Yeah. I mean, the simple answer is, is yes, because I can talk to him, you know, I can, I can tell God when I'm pissed and I just have conversations um, and he, so yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard to have a, a rigid and personal relationship with God. I don't know how you put that in a single sentence. I mean, just with anyone, right? Yeah, my, my, my best friend, Chris Bennett, our relationship is super rigid and very personal. I, I don't know how you do that. So, I, I'm well said. I'm just echoing what you've already said. So, um, so, I, so I, 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 we do this every time, right? I give you the final word. Um, there are some men, for sure, who are listening, have listened to this, your whole story, right? Which has been a holy experience for me. And... There's no way they don't believe you for you because you're sitting here, it's authentic, and you're sharing your heart. But what's going through their mind right now is, yeah, recovery is probably going to work out for Theron, and his wife is, is going to stay, and he's probably going to have a happy marriage. And, and it sounds like he's earned God's love, um, but, <laughs> but not me, but not me. I am worthless. I am that POS because I've I've done the things. I'm not there. I'm not really in recovery. I'm not worthy. So to the men who are listening, who just aren't buying it for them, if we had them sitting right here uh, with us, what would you tell them? I tell them there's a, a reason Stephen just read their mind because we all felt that way, and I still at times feel. You know, God is good for Stephen or for Chris, but not Theron. But you need to know that he is. It's not easy. I wish I could tell you it was easy. Um, and not minimizing the experience of, of what the wife goes through. You need to understand when you finally find that strength to, to disclose what you need to, you are brave and you are strong. And that is the first step that you're going to need for God to be able to work in you. And uh, just, you can do it. You are not alone. You, There's more people out there that suffer than you think or than you realize. There's plenty of people like me, all outsiders like me, all unashamed and all unafraid to live out what they're supposed to be. You are definitely one of those outsiders, Theron. And, I mean, we've been, just been so blessed. As you know, um, I, I asked Theron when he first came in and sat down with us, I'm like, so, you know, do you listen? Cause I'm okay. If people come on, they haven't listened to all of our podcasts. Said, do you listen Do you kind of the format? He said, Oh, I already have my song. I'm good to go hit record. I'm ready. He just, he came in here on fire. So as you know, we have everyone in with a song that has been, um, you know, we're really big in the music and has touched them in their recovery. And so, you know, we're going to, we're going to exit with that song. So Theron, thank you for being here with us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, I mean, your story is holy. It's incredible, and the vulnerability you've shared is amazing. And um, with that, what song do you want to send us out with? Well, I narrowed it down to the song that got me through my excommunication, and that was uh, Mercy Me and uh, Even If. So it's, it's what got me through. God is there. My Savior is there, even if, I, even if He doesn't take away the problem. Love that song. You can follow us at Unashamed Unafraid, Facebook, Instagram. If you have an anonymous question or a question for Theron, send us an email. You can go to the website. If you have a great recovery story and you want to share your heart, let us know. Send us an email. Um, until we're with you again, remain unashamed and unafraid. And with that, we will turn it over to Mercy Me and Even If. They say sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some. And right now, right now I'm losing bad. I've stood on this stage night after night, reminding the broken it'll be alright. But right now, 
So 